speaking now with Andrew McGuire of Applied Identity, and he's going to first start off by telling us a little bit about who Applied Identity is and what they do. Let's go ahead, Andrew. Um, Applied Identity uh, was founded in 2004. We're a network security company, and we provide solutions that help enable the identity-aware network. What I mean by that is uh, we have solutions that you can deploy internally on the network to protect critical assets. We leverage the identity infrastructure that you have already embedded in your network, such as Active Directory, and then use that to make control determination at the network level of who can access what applications. So in a lot of networks, they already have access, uh, application level access controls. Um, we've really helped to uh, secure the soft underbelly of the network by providing granular access based on a user's identity put at the network level. Okay. Very good. Well, what I'd ask you is can you, um, you know, kind of apply that to the financial services industry? What might a typical deployment be within a bank or a credit union, or, or how are your, your products or services most often used? Right. So um, I think the, the most compelling solution for our product is typically deployed, as I mentioned before, in front of critical assets. So the organization has to identify and classify their data and identify the service that that um, data is stored on. Typically, we're deployed in front of those critical assets, um, and the users that are accessing those resources can, first of all, be audited. So you have visibility into the network of who is accessing what application and what server. Uh, we then have the ability to provide user role or group-based policies to be able to enforce those access permissions. And then we also enforce it, as I mentioned before, at the network player. Now, the benefit of enforcing at the network player is that users that don't have permission to access those assets don't actually see them. We actually float those resources. So typically a very flat network, if you go into Windows Network Neighborhood, you can see all the users on the network, all the resources. Um, and we provide that ability to float those resources. So only the, access, only the users that have access do actually see them. Now let me ask you a question. Um, is, this a, uh, um, is this a software solution? Is it hardware? How does it actually fit within your network? So uh, we're an appliance-based solution. Okay. So it is an appliance. Um, we have a identity manager, which is the management interface where you can create policies. It's an also an interface into Active Directory or other LDAP directories. Um, so you have a central point of management of user identity within that. Very good. Okay, one more question for you, uh, Andrew. You know, we're at the Gardner event, uh, supposed to be predicting, you know, security, information security concerns for the next 5, 10, 15 years. What, what do you see? You know, what do you see, uh, you know, at your, in your own role at Applied Identity? What, uh, what kind of foresight or what kind of trends do you notice? So, I think networks are definitely becoming more and more complex. As organizations start to move into things like IPv6, mm. uh, access control is going to be very difficult to manage, and we are definitely starting to see the emergence of more uh, identity being a very focal point within the network. Mm. Um, the stronger the authentication of an identity and being able to grant access permissions to users based on that uh, is going to be really significant. We're starting to see the emergence of uh, role-based access control. Right. Uh, which is along the similar lines. But 
the next five to ten years, the really the perimeter has been hardened, and now we really have to sort of focus on the uh, the internal network as a key point. Very good. Very good foresight. Once again, uh, Andrew McGuire with Applied Identity. Thank you. Thanks. So I'm sitting now with uh, Jim Hansen of Big Fix, and he's going to tell us a little bit about who the company is for those of our users who don't know, and then focus a little bit on the financial services industry and what Big, Big Fix does to address that. So go ahead, Jim. All right. Thank you, Mike. So, so first of all, Big Fix is what we consider to be an endpoint protection product. Uh, essentially, we provide uh, the ability to have complete visibility and control over anywhere from a small number of assets within an organization to a large volume of assets. That's anything from a couple thousand to a couple hundred thousand, right? So, of course, in the financial industry, banks have a lot of IT assets, systems, computers, uh, Unix windows, uh, Unix systems, Windows systems, and so forth that they have to protect in some form or fashion. And essentially what BigFix provides is a suite of products that enable you to uh, identify vulnerabilities, identify where your systems are in in potentially non-compliance to specific guidelines and so forth, and we provide you the ability to essentially remediate those systems, so identify the threats, identify where things are having problems, and then go in and fix those problems. Okay. Well, tell us, I, I kind of have a two-part question. Tell us, number one, what, what is the typical installation for a financial services company, you know, a bank or your typical credit union? And then number two kind of plays into it. Is this like a software package? Is it a hardware base? Tell us a little bit about more, you know, the typical installation. Yeah, so, so Big Fix is, is somewhat unique in the sense that the architecture that we have behind our product is, is very much designed for small to medium to even large-sized organizations. An installation basically consists of a single server. It's our management server. But the interesting thing about that management server is the management server itself actually has very little intelligence within it. What we also have is an agent-based technology. So we install an agent out on an endpoint, and all of the functions that BigFix does, everything from patch to vulnerability to DLP or data leak prevention, uh, we manage everything on the compliance side, so security configuration management, and all the elements that one has to uh, deal with when looking at compliance initiatives, uh, we provide all that through a single intelligent agent. The agent enforces those policies on the system regardless of where that system is. The system is online, on the network, you're protected because that agent's going to constantly evaluate and manage those policies on those systems. If that system goes offline, say you have a laptop, you take it out of the organization, you still need to be protected. You need to ensure that your policies are continuing to be enforced. So that also gets put in play. Now, the way that Big Fix scales effectively to organizations of 200, 300, 400,000 endpoints uh, is by essentially also incorporating another component called a relay. So a relay is essentially, we just piggyback off of existing hardware, existing systems within the infrastructure, and you can think about it as a way to, for example, if I need to go get a patch pushed down to a system, or even a configuration setting, how do I go get it? Well, the agents are actually managing themselves. So the agent is going to go talk to that relay and say, hey, do you have anything new for me? And the relay is going to go back to the server and say, hey, do you have anything new? That way we minimize the network bandwidth, we minimize the uh, overall impact on the systems, and we also include with that agent some technology to enable you to throttle things back. So, you know, we don't uh, force systems, for example, to start evaluating a bunch of policies and just completely bog the system down. It makes it unusable, right? So our goal is to keep our, our complete utilization across all our products less than 2% total on an endpoint. So that it helps us really achieve a high scalability and, of course, with the architecture, management server, intelligent agent, and, of course, the relays, that gives us a, a pretty unique advantage when working with large environments. Okay. Very good. Well, one more question for you here before we go. You know, we're at the Gartner event. It's all about, you know, kind of the future of information security. What, what do you see? What are some trends? 
trends or what can you sort of forecast for us? So I think there's a couple things. Number one, um, if you look at the overall compliance world and, and how are these uh, financial institutions are trying to manage that, everything from you, you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, you, you've got GLBA and you've got all the other financial PCI, things, PCI and yeah. SOX, all these different regulations, if you really kind of take a step back, they're all kind of similar in nature, right? Organizations have to define how they're going to be compliant and so forth and so on, but when it comes down to it, there's going to be some technology that has to go in place. And this technology, what we, the trend that we see is people trying to move away from lots of disparate products. You've got a product to do DLP. You've got a product to go configure your systems. You've got a product to, I don't know, manage your patches or what have you. Now, what I see is organizations moving towards a more centralized approach. One single console, one single view of my entire enterprise so that I can get a single consolidated view of my compliance state, of my security state, and of course even the operational state of my systems. Do I have the right software installed? Are people using my systems effectively? Are they using the systems the way they're supposed to? Am I protected against the insider threats and so forth and so on? So that, that single consolidated view of the world, and also that helps eliminate a lot of the, you know, everybody has an agent, right? Sure. So, you know, you, you have sure. an agent out there for one thing. Well, you, you multiply more than one, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You, you multiply that by 17 or 18 different mm. areas, mm. and you start to have a huge footprint on these endpoints, right? Everybody says, ah, oh, Christ, another agent. Yeah, sure. uh, I don't want to do all that, right? But with, 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 with an application like Big Fix, you know, you can actually have a single console, single management infrastructure to manage all those same different functions across the entire compliance rate. Very good. Okay. Once again, uh, Jim Hansen with Big Fix. Uh, thanks, Jim. Thank you, Mike. Speaking now with Toby Weir-Jones, Vice President of Product Strategy with BT Counterpain. Uh, Toby's going to tell us a little bit about uh, the company and sort of how they address the finance industry. So, Toby? Thanks, Mike. Uh, so, BT Counterpain is a part of the, the British Telecom Managed Security Solutions Group, which includes both managed services and on-site services in the form of assessment work, ethical hacking, code review, all the, the sort of specialized security services that require a, a physical presence on the customer's environment. Uh, together, we roll up as part of the, the BT Global Security Practice, which is uh, roughly a $900 million business operating in basically all the major developed nations where there's any kind of, certainly Internet, but obviously uh, commercial infrastructure that's dependent on either regulatory boundaries or any kind of high valuation of, of, your, of your network infrastructure. And, and whenever that valuation is present, obviously there's a need for people to defend it. And so the security practice provides that functionality. Um, the practice has been in existence for several years now, and it was, it, was, it was a way to put together a number of discrete service lines that BT already offered, but to organize them under common rhetoric and uh, really obviously around some unified goals as far as customer demand. And we see some fairly clear trends depending on the vertical. If we're talking to finance, we're talking to healthcare, they have fairly standard sets of problems, and what varies is their local interpretation under that, under that umbrella definition. Um, BT's main activity in terms of services provided is really about risk management, um, and there's, there's obviously a number of dimensions to that. But uh, w without falling prey to too many industry buzzwords, the, the intention really is, is both to understand the risk and then figure out what are reasonable responses to it. And we can talk theoretically about all the things you would do in an ideal world, but the reality is a large number of those simply aren't practical for, for most of our customers. You know, you can't guarantee that your users will never be either mm. foolish or malicious. Mm. You can't guarantee that the regulations that are forced upon you will not be 
basically impractical or, or unattainable mm -hmm. in terms of the standards they define. So really it's all about juggling the different compromises that come into play. Figuring out for the level of investment you're able to make or, or at least willing to make, what's an appropriate response and a mix of, of approaches that's going to provide a measurable benefit over a time frame that's realistic. Okay. Well, well, why, why don't you focus a bit more on uh, just the financial services industry? You know, I, from what I'm, what I'm hearing is this is, you know, you guys don't necessarily offer a, an individual like a product, appliance, or software. It's more of like a, a professional services. Is that? It's a solutions play. That's absolutely right. Okay. BT does place product, but we're not a product vendor in the right. formal sense. Uh, so we maintain relationships with, with certainly a lot of the vendors that are here at the Gartner Show and a lot of other vendors around the world that are doing specialty products or even ultra-specialized services where they have the, the intellectual property that simply resides within their organization and will leverage it. And how does that fit in with the finance industry? I mean, what, what, what do you sure. typically do for, let's say, a banker? Typically, the, the finance industry, the, the large customers already have programs, and what, hmm. what really varies is whether or not they're unified across the organization or if they're sort of trying to catch up with the organic growth of the organization's experience. So, for example, a large bank that's grown by acquisition will inevitably have integration challenges to do with the different targets that they brought into the the single umbrella, and they're struggling to figure out how to bridge. It can be different technologies or different policies or different geographical limitations. And again, it's, it's one of these issues of, okay, we can ideally say, let's just yank it all out and put our stuff in, mm -hmm. but that's going to create so much disruption mm -hmm. on the part of the, the staff being integrated that it's, it's going to introduce a whole other set of failure vectors, which are highly expensive to fix. Um, so from a finance perspective, what we really find is, is we're, we're we're trying to anticipate the regulatory trends while playing catch-up with the technology limitations. Okay. Um, the technology pieces really are, I mean, the whole security vendor space is really driven by reactionary design. Mm. You, 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 you see trends that the bad guys or the, the inherent complexity of the systems bring upon your organization, your infrastructure, and you try to implement technologies that, that mitigate that threat such that you can, you can have a predictable or a fixed cost against a, an unpredictable risk. Or it could be against a, uh, a compliance issue. So the yeah, exactly. mandate comes out and, you know, after the fact they need to do something and yeah, use technology to address it. That's exactly right. And, and as we all know, some of the standards that are published or, or the regulations that are written into law are perhaps a little more specific than others. Mm, yeah. and, and so, again, there's always this gray area of interpretation sure. of deciding what's enough without being the bare minimum and yet without overspending. And, and so the, the vendor space is certainly a part of that, but really what the customers look to us for is guidance. And the guidance is not only what's worked for other customers in my space, but other customers of my size, other customers of my complexity, other customers of my historical patterns mm. or my risk tolerance from the, the boardroom. You know, we're not really dealing with the server room primarily. We're dealing with guys who are trying to make the, the best reasonable alternative to a conceptually perfect solution because it's just not realistic. Um, okay. and, and that's that's really a big part of it. Okay. One more thing. Uh, last question I want to ask. You know, I've been uh, asking all the vendors. We're here at Gardner. You know, we're talking about information security trends. You know, five years out, ten years out. Yeah. What have you seen? You know, give us some trends. I mean, maybe some foresight and anything. You know, words of wisdom you can offer our users. Uh, I think the decision making about which specific technology is best is going to continue to shift towards the service provider and away from the individual customer. You know, it's, it used to be that it was a big religious or political decision about whether you went with the, 
one of the two leading firewall vendors. And, and now we've gotten to the point where the, the firewalls themselves and their most basic implementation are largely interchangeable. Mm. I think you're going to see two things. The existing market categories among the vendors will continue to become more familiar, and as such it will be harder for those vendors to differentiate themselves, at least on first pass. And you'll also see vendors introduce themselves into new spaces that are in response to that changing climate we talked about earlier, changing regulatory standards or, or just best practices. And it becomes harder and harder for the customer individually to invest the cycles necessary to understand what's really different between the two vendors. And the service provider with experience of both may well recommend either vendor under different circumstances. And, and that, the burden of that decision-making should fall with the service provider, not only so the customer doesn't waste their time worrying about it, but because in two years' time, it may be appropriate to switch. And you don't want to be bound to a depreciating capital investment that's going to basically sit on your books until you can write it down to zero and buy something else. The service provider model allows you to swap that out on demand and just carry on status quo with your goals. Very good, good. Okay, well, uh, thank you once again. Uh, words of wisdom from Toby Weir-Jones of BT Counterfan. Thank you. Nice one. I'm with Basam Khan, uh, VP of Product Management and Marketing for LogLogic, and uh, Basam's going to tell us a little bit about uh, who Log- LogLogic is and how they fit in with the financial services industry. So, sure. Uh, thanks, Mike. Um, LogLogic was founded in 2002. Um, and the purpose uh, was to um, be able to manage log files, but do it in a very simple and uh, easy way. Um, we provide an appliance that plugs into a data center or a branch office um, in an IT organization. And once you have it rack stacked and cabled, you simply send it log files, and we're able to process the logs and make sense out of it. Uh, one of LogLogic's differentiators is the fact that we talk to a huge variety of log sources. We call it deep parsing, so we can actually understand the messages and what's important and what's not important in a log message from a very large variety of elements that are generating log files, such as databases, OSs, firewalls, applications, and so on. Um, what happens at that point is we map this very large number of databases that we collect from the log sources. Uh, we map that to use cases, whether it be for compliance, uh, for security, for um, uh, operational excellence, and so on. And the benefit for the customer on that is um, they get instant visibility and instant um, uh, value from the system as soon as they plug us in. Hmm. Okay. I, I know you just touched on it a bit, but you know, let's take your typical uh, financial institution, say your community bank or credit union. What is what is the installation like? I mean, you just touched on it as a you know appliance software base. How does that fit in with their their systems already in use? Right. Um, so that's one of the key things with uh, our approach is to fit in. You said the key thing here, Mike, is to fit in into into their environment, and that really is why we take this log source um, deep parsing uh, head on because it's a very tough problem to solve. Every log source, every environment is different, and people have in-house applications or you know very kind of obscure applications that, that are out there, and our job is to be able to understand and process those as as much as possible. So the way we fit in is either you can plug us 
in into a data center and again fire logs log files at us or um, at uh, remote offices branch offices and you know be able to do localized reporting or centralized reporting um, and that's all it really is basically plug us in and start firing away log files there are two ways of getting at the log files one is through reports and alerts and and other things that we do that, um, because of the data that we track from deep parsing and the other other way of using us is simply searching it's like a Google like search um, on index log files so we store all the log files we archive them for, for compliance reasons or whatever else but the users are able to simply go in and type in show me all log files with login by Mike that happened for the past three months because Mike's been doing some suspicious activities mm -hmm. and we're able to track that and report on that very very quickly uh, without log management this process takes months literally to figure out what all the different log elements were because you're certainly you're definitely talking talking about thousands of different log sources with a log management system one query minutes literally Good. Okay. Um, one more question for you before we go. Uh, you know, we're at the Gartner show. I've been asking, uh, you know, all the vendors here. Um, you know, we're supposed to be talking about what's the future of information security. You know, years down the road, five years, ten years. What can you offer? You know, what are what are some trends you've seen, or or, or, or what kind of foresight can you offer our users? Certainly. So we're seeing a couple of interesting things coming from our customer bases. Um, one is an increasing linkage between logs and accountability. Um, the question really starts out with, you know, why do I care about logs? And the answer is the reason people care about logs is because they care about accountability. Log is an audit trail of everything that happens in the enterprise. Who logged in when, who were doing suspicious activities, uh, um, uh, confidential information, sensitive information, such as login information, uh, confidential activities, and so on. So log becomes a very um, powerful tool of choice for compliance, uh, compliance, and as well as for, um, for for accountability. And so we're seeing increasingly amount of um, uh, our customers taking a larger holistic picture of accountability, and logs being a key part of that. Um, the second trend I talk about, and I guess another linkage, is between logs and controls. Um, by controls, I mean are the processes in place for ensuring whatever regulatory or other best practices. It could be systems in place to track data, track usage, and have you know, access rights and roles and so on. Um, it's great to have these controls, but you can't really fully implement uh, a full control um, in an enterprise because businesses change too fast. You know, bank regulations, the regulations come down the pike, uh, people change, um, uh, markets change, and process change, and so on. What uh, control lets you do is it kind of lets you manage that process. But what logs let you do is see what's really happening. So even though I have all these controls in place, um, uh, log uh, management will tell you what exactly happened. How did people did people actually use the controls? What did they do? How did things get done? How did things not get done? And uh, so the second um, kind of high-level trend we're seeing is a linkage between controls and and log as being sort of a one-two punch and getting and solving that problem. All right. Well, very good. Uh, once again, uh, the SOMCON with LogLogic. Uh, thanks for the insight. Thank you very much, Mike. My pleasure. I'm here with Chris Parkerson now, Group Solutions Marketing Manager with McAfee. And
And Chris, uh, you just gave me some interesting information on, um, you know, the B2B background on McAfee, which many of our users may not be aware of. So why don't you start off by uh, giving us a little bit about that and some of the infrastructure involved behind some of those products. Okay. Um, so for many probably don't know that actually almost half of, McAfee, half of McAfee's business comes from the B2B space. Um, we have a big, big representation, a lot of large companies uh, out there, a lot of large banking companies, including Bank of America, Visa, Fidelity, a lot of large companies use McAfee products today, and they use them for more than just antivirus, which most people are probably familiar with as far as McAfee is concerned. We have big franchises and products such as IntruShield, which is our intrusion prevention line of products. We have Foundstone, which is our vulnerability assessment products. And then most recently, we acquired a company called SafeBoot, which has a huge footprint in the financial space in terms of providing data encryption for laptops, mobile devices out there to protect data and help in terms of privacy. So we have a lot of a huge presence in B2B, and we're continuing to grow in that area through our partners and through expansion of our product line. Okay. Now, you, you were also telling me um, about the kind of underlying infrastructure between all, among all of these products. Tell me a little bit more about that. So, yeah, we kind of refer to this as kind of the secret sauce of McAfee. It's actually to the point where it's pervasive even through our consumer products. Consumers don't even know it's there, but this underlying infrastructure is called ePolicy Orchestrator, which is our management infrastructure for all McAfee products. EPO. EPO, yep, is the, is the shortened form that we use, but uh, it uh, underlies all of our products, including IntruShield, Foundstone, Antivirus, uh, Host Intrusion Prevention, and now with the with the, here at the Gartner Show, the SafeBoot products, which we just acquired, are also on that infrastructure now via, via the integration with ePolicy Orchestrator. So this provides a unified infrastructure for managing policies, uh, managing uh, how our software gets deployed out to end-user systems. So with our agent on that system, you can quickly and easily deploy, manage all of our software throughout the enterprise in whichever products you have for McAfee. Hmm. Okay. Now, uh, before I started recording here, uh, you, you were giving me some interesting comments on, especially the finance industry, how up to this point, you know, banks, credit unions, anybody in the finance industry is used to spending money on compliance. However, you're kind of dubbing it as, at this point, it's almost a, a post-compliance was the term that you used. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, it's not necessarily the, not necessarily the, the best term because compliance is a never-ending game. Sure, I mean, sure, no, sure. No, yeah, we're never yeah. going to be post-compliant. Right, right. But I right. think really what a lot of companies have put a lot of effort to in finance, and finance especially, and finance is known for being very good in the compliance area, um, and, and especially in banking in particular, um, but they've spent all this money on trying to enforce compliance, and we've started to see that many of them, they can't actually prove it. They can't. It's very difficult for them to be able to prove that they actually did all of this effort, that they're actually getting value out of all of this money, all of this resources they've put in to meeting all these compliance mandates. So what we've been focusing on at McAfee, utilizing the unifying infrastructure on EPO that I talked about, is how do we help companies in the financial sector and others actually prove their compliance efforts and actually be able to audit what they're doing, make sure their policies work, make sure that what they're doing is actually protecting the data out there, that they can actually show an auditor, yes, that laptop was protected when it went missing. Are they able to actually prove that? And that's really what we're focusing on is we think the next real step is that companies now need to start trying to get ROI out of all of this. Uh, they want to. There is, of course, a philosophy out there that thinks they'll never get ROI, but we actually believe that you can, and they're, they're, you can get measurable ROI. And that's what we're focusing on is how do we help companies prove that what they've done has actually been a successful effort. 
Good. Okay, one more question for you. Um, you know, we're at the Gartner show. This is supposed to be, you know, kind of forecasting how information security is going to go for the next, you know, 5, 10, 15 years. What, what, what do you see? What, what kind of words of advice or what trends do you notice? You know, what kind of uh, foresight can you offer? Well, I think the, the biggest trend that I've noticed and I think where, where we're getting to is that it's the whole concept behind automation of security. And our CEO, Dave DeWalt, talks about this a lot, is that um, every time, every it seems like every time there's a new threat, there's a new company and a new business model that comes out of the woodwork to actually try to solve this. And it's creating this hodgepodge of stuff out there in terms of the security space. Mm. And companies, are, especially in the financial industry, who do spend a lot of money on security are, are having big difficulty trying to stitch all of this together. Um, so what we see coming in the future, in the very near future, and hopefully powered by our EPO infrastructure, is the how do we automate security so that the, the system, the infrastructure becomes much more resilient to threats and is able to adapt very quickly to the threats that happen so that you're not having to wait for some company to come up with a response to one of these threats, that the infrastructure is able to get automated and resilient enough to be able to respond well to the threats, to the new threats that come up. Because having a new company and a new product yeah, is just sure. not tolerable. Mm-hmm, I mean, sure. the IT would go nuts eventually trying to stitch all of this together. So we believe that that's where things are going, is that yes, that, that probably you can feel the undertone of that, that means more consolidation in the security space, it's kind of an undertone of that, but really we think that the, the future is in, how do we automate all of this to where you're not we're able to respond to those threats that happen. Okay. Great insight from uh, Chris Parkerson once again, uh, McAfee. Great, thank you. I'm speaking with Jeff Webb now, Senior Product Marketing Manager with NetIQ. And for those of our users who are unfamiliar, Jeff's going to tell us a little bit about um, who NetIQ is, what they do, and how it fits in with the financial services industry and compliance. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay. Nice to meet you, Mike. Uh, let's see. The, um, the course of the capabilities we deliver to the financial institutions that we work with uh, are the ability to really provide um, security information and event management monitoring uh, in order to um, ensure that the critical hosts that make up their business systems are appropriately monitored to ensure that they're secure. Also to um, ensure that they're appropriately configured to provide configuration assessment, vulnerability assessment, um, um, the ability to monitor compliance, to track how they're, they're hitting their compliance goals and um, really to sort of build all of those systems in um, around uh, process automation capabilities too so that we have the ability to automate a lot of the processes around compliance and security information event management. We do that with a couple of core products. Uh, We have a product called Security Manager which is a security information and event management tool. Um, It's a piece of software. It's focused on really monitoring security information and events around um, critical hosts and network devices across Windows, Linux, Unix, uh, iSeries, IBM mainframes, and so on. And then also a product called Secure Configuration Manager. Secure Configuration Manager is a tool that monitors the um, the configuration of the systems. Um, it will do so in an automated way. It will check for um, ensuring that they are hitting the, the necessary baselines from a compliance perspective, uh, from a business uh, and security best practices perspective. Report those things. It will do user entitlement reporting to ensure that the people who have access to these systems to the appropriate people and that people don't have access to systems that they shouldn't be accessing uh, because clearly 
things like insider threat, for example, is, mm. a, is a significant issue, concern, issue, yeah. especially in the financial industry yep. where you have a lot of very sensitive data. Yep. Uh, we see insider threat as being a significant driver in this space. Um, the financial industry obviously has a lot of compliance goals to hit. It also has a lot of very sensitive information to protect. And in order to do, to really re- meet both those sets of goals, you have to be able to show that you are appropriately protecting that information, to document those processes, and to respond very quickly to uh, potential security breach. So one of the things we, we really offer a lot of the financial institutions that we work with is you know, ensure that my systems are appropriately configured, ensure that I can track events around those systems, ensure that I can see if changes occur in those systems, that they are appropriately managed, that they're secure, and then to respond very quickly to say, you know, if information looks like it's being accessed, it shouldn't be accessed, to very quickly say, let's, let's um, automate the processes around responding to that, to monitoring that system, um, to putting in the appropriate controls to, to protect that information, and to alerting the appropriate people that right. they can do further investigation. Before we uh, started recording here, you gave me an example of, uh, I don't know, an event or something that would happen, I think, with a um, uh, server. Mm-hmm. Kind of go through that again. That was Absolutely. interesting, kind of the chain of events of how people were notified. Sure. So one of the things we can do is we can build a lot of automated processes around assessments and responses. So, for example, let's say that a, an automated configuration assessment goes out and looks at a critical system. It may be, say, hosting credit card information, and obviously that would be something that would be significant for people hitting the PCI compliance goals. Um, It may find that that system is out of configuration. So let's say that the process then immediately says, okay, this system is not appropriately configured. Something has changed. Let's go off and check with a third-party ticketing system and see if that change has been requested as part of our change management process. If it hasn't, then there's a potential issue here that needs to be investigated further. So what it will do is then go off and say, pull log files associated with that system to see if we can see if a change has occurred. Perhaps go off and pull... um, a complete list of every single person that has administration rights on that system to so that I can put together a list of who may have made this change and then automate uh, turning on some higher level sets of monitoring capabilities on that system so I can immediately see if any additional changes are occurring in real time. Then what it'll do is go off and say um, alert the appropriate business owner that a change has occurred on the system, maybe the IT operations team so that they can look into it further and potentially also the security teams and it's at that point and that point only that a human being has become involved in this process. So we've basically pulled together all the appropriate information when we spot a change has occurred that's potentially a risk and then and then and only then alert somebody. Once you you start to build those automated processes into your systems, you can very dramatically reduce the costs associated with maintaining that high level of security, maintaining those compliance goals, and you can respond and remediate much more quickly, of course, because again, you have uh, administrators seeing absolutely everything they need to see from the perspective of doing some analysis and responding all in one go. They don't have to then start a whole bunch of manual processes to go pull this information together. Right. Sounds like you have uh, tracking, alerting, auditing. Absolutely. So the whole <laughs> thing will potentially be... And again, this will be using our own technologies. So, you know, again, security manager with its information event management, secure configuration management and configuration assessment, but also third-party tools. We, we've really built this process automation bus, which is called Aegis, um, as being vendor-neutral process automation technology. So it can pull in information from third-party uh, systems and it can also go out and drive information to third-party systems so that part of the remediation process could be automated as well. Very good. Okay, once again, uh, Jeff Webb with NetIQ. Great, thanks, Mike. It was wonderful to talk to you. I'm here now with Doug McLean of PGP, and Doug's going to tell us a little bit more about uh, who the company is, what they do, and how they fit in with the financial services industry. So, Doug, take it away. Thanks, Mike. 
PHP Corporation is a five-year-old company now. The brand has actually been around 15 years. It was once owned by what is now McAfee. The current executive team bought the assets out of McAfee about five years ago. Restarted it. Uh, it's a medium-sized software company now. We've got close to 400 employees doing business in 12 different countries. Uh, we do most of our business in uh, North America and Northern Europe. Germany is a very, very important market for us as well. And uh, we offer uh, the broadest encryption solutions uh, anywhere found in the market. We originally started out doing just email, and I think that we're best known for that. Uh, but that's um, just one part of the solutions we offer to financial services and other industries globally. Uh, we also do secure file transfer, secure storage, uh, secure endpoints, secure mobile devices. Uh, if, it can be, if you can store data on it or move data on it, we can secure it. Doug, maybe you can uh, focus in a bit on for us uh, the financial services industry. So many of the users on our site, they come from your typical you know, community banker credit union. How are they going to um, install services, uh, install service such as PGP offers? PGP has been serving the financial services industry since we restarted the company. They've been uh, historically early adopters of things security and as true encryption solutions as well, clearly. We uh, have most of the very largest financial institutions on earth, our customers. In fact, two new ones that we just announced in the last quarter, BNP Paribas and Barclays, uh, have adopted and standardized on the PGP encryption platform as the way they're going to secure their data. Uh, and the, what's driving most of this is, I think, an increasing realization that data is really now the currency that financial services yeah. uh, institutions deal in most. More important than money in a lot of a lot of cases. And so you need to take all the steps to secure the data that you would to secure you know, the monetary assets if they were physical any longer. Sure. So there's really this notion of data in motion, data at rest, needs to be secure at all points um, throughout the data life cycle. Um, but from the financial services standpoint, um, the development and imposition of security policy and the auditability of that security policy from a regulatory perspective also needs to be in place. The fact of the matter is that doing a, a single encryption application isn't that hard. Um, the challenge is when you do the second one and you want to apply consistent policy and consistent key management across all of your encryption uh, technologies, applications, and devices. Uh, just one example of, of this is um, with a proliferation of smartphones, we now have exactly the same security issues there that we had with laptops five years ago. You can't have you know, different organizations deploying different policies um, and different key management solutions just because it's a smaller device. Work though. I mean, I don't need any secrets or anything. But is it software-based? Is it an appliance? You know, if you're going to go into a, you know your local bank. How are they going to use it? So it's a combination. How's it going to fit into their system? Depending on which piece of the platform you're deploying, okay. um, it is either server software uh, or client software or both. Okay. Um, and the way that um, most, well, all financial institutions are now deploying it is in the both. Uh, and the reason for this is that it's the devices that carry the data, but you need to be able to impose policy and keys centrally. Um, and so the, the way we, we actually fulfill the product, it's a soft appliance, uh, very hardened OS that, that we develop. So we, we control the box really from the silicon up so that the, the device itself is assaulted. Um, 
and it plugs into the infrastructure um, very much like a, a firewall does um, in that it, 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 it will sit in whatever data flow is being protected in most cases. Uh, sometimes it puts off to the side and does the job another way. But the best way to think about it is a piece of security infrastructure. Okay. One more question for you before we go. Um, you know, we're at the Gardner Show speaking about information security trends over the next five, ten years. What do you see? What are some trends that you see? What kind of foresight can you offer you? So the, the primary thing that, that we picked up first time probably a year and a half ago and is now coming to fruition for all major financial services uh, firms and, and non-defensive firms is that Protecting the devices is a good first step, but it's only a first step. You also have to have a very holistic approach to protecting the data that's on those devices. Mm. Uh, because in, in a lot of cases, firewalls, for example, are a little more than a speed bump for a good hacker. Sure. The question is, how do you protect the data that's behind that firewall? Because the, um, what the, the data and the surveys show is that the vast majority of data breaches have to be Again, uh, Doug McLean from PGP. Thank you. Thanks. Right, I'm here now with David Precopio, VP Marketing and Business Development with Rapid7, and David's going to tell us a little bit about uh, what the company does. Uh, Rapid7 is a security provider. Uh, we provide unified vulnerability management for financial institutions and credit unions, which means that we provide vulnerability scanning for web applications, for um, networks, and databases. We're also an approved security vendor for PCI, and uh, our PCI compliance professional services as well as our product offerings are in some of the largest financial and credit unions across the United States and actually globally. So, Dave, tell, tell us a little bit more. Um, in a typical installation, you mentioned, uh, let's say, credit unions. Is this uh, is this software-based? Is it an appliance? How does it actually work in with their current systems? Right now, our product is offered in multiple ways. It's offered four ways. You can get it as an appliance that either sits in your DMZ or be in your network. You can also get software if you have available servers. You can also do a managed service or your own hosted service, which means that you can log on to one of our data centers and round external scanning. For a credit union, typically what we'll have is we'll have one centralized web-based console that sits within somebody's environment and can be accessed by all levels, everything from the CIO all the way down to the security administrator, even operations teams. And then most companies or credit unions would actually put a, a what we call a scan engine within their environment, within their network, or as we're starting to see more and more today, within each of their uh, extended branches. So that allows somebody to actually have a holistic view of their security vulnerability across all their all their branches as well as their internal corporate networks. Okay, well, one more question for you before we go. I've been asking uh, all the people I've been interviewing. You know, we're at Gartner. It's supposed to be, you know, what's information security going to be? You know, what are the issues 5, 10, 15 years from now? What do you see? What do you see as the trends or, you know, any kind of foresight you can give us? I think, uh, for sure, we're starting to see the two things. We're seeing what we call targeted attacks. So there's targeted attacks against credit 
unions, banks, financial institutions, investment banking, insurance. So we're seeing a lot of that come around today. So targeted attacks are a lot more expensive. Uh, they're actually hackers or exploits that want to make money. We're actually seeing organized crime now targeting different types of financial institutions. Years ago, we used to have what we call, you know, the hackers used to be some kid sitting there trying to disrupt technology. we say a denial of service, take down web applications. But with all the latest ones that we've had, all the latest exploits, they're targeted towards that organization. And it has nothing to do with a, uh, a disruptive coworker or somebody, or a consultant or anything like that. Now it's just organizations that actually look for these vulnerabilities on websites within networks and exploit those. And you can do those as easy as a Google search. Um, that's one we're seeing targeted. The second one that really scares our customers and ourselves is what we're seeing is automated vulnerability, which means that lately there was a SQL injection that actually targeted over a million databases worldwide and actually allowed people to put exploits within those. And what it is, it's automated. It's run by software that actually goes out, searches through Google for these types of vulnerabilities and exploits them automatically. So we're seeing automatic vulnerabilities so that you don't even have to do anything and you're, you're seeing those. Now, that could be something that's in your branch. It could be on your web application. It could be on a laptop. You know, we're really seeing this automated. The only way to get through that is to make sure that you scan daily, weekly, whatever it is for those vulnerabilities. And then what we call remediate them or patch them. Without doing that, then anybody's going to be insecure. Good. Once again, uh, David Procopio with Rapid7. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, I want to add one more thing. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, years ago, we used to talk about it. I used to talk about security about 10 years ago. as a kind of a cat and mouse game, which means that, you know, uh, it was always the cat. Security people were trying to catch up to the mouse, but the cat never really caught the mouse. It, a little bit different today is more of we're starting to see it's not so much more a mouse. It's really more of a disruptive. So if you want to take it in the animal analogy, we're seeing these guys being more of like a snake where they turn around around and they actually go out and they'll do uh, targeted hits, that precision hits that can really disrupt an organization and take down that organization correctly. And now what security is, I think that's what we really need to kind of build on is, you know, what type of animal can stop the snake from attacking their, their, uh, their uh, business? Very good. Very good analogy there. Okay. Once again, uh, David with uh, Rapid7. Thank you very much. I'm speaking now with Dan Nader of ScanSafe, and Dan's going to start off by telling us a bit more about who ScanSafe is and the types of products and services that they offer. So go ahead, Dan. Great, thanks. ScanSafe is a company that solves two different problems. The first is making sure that companies can enforce policy as their users are surfing the web, so making sure that they don't go to inappropriate sites. Uh, we also solve the problem of protecting users because we block malicious content on the pages that they're visiting through real-time scanning. But what makes us different is we're the first uh, company who can do this as a service. So instead of deploying uh, some hardware appliance um, or uh, some software on every PC, we actually do all of this in the cloud. So our customers kind of leverage all of the volume of traffic that we see. We process about 8 billion web requests a month, which is a really high volume. Wow. Because of that, we're able to kind of ferret out the new malicious content out there and we're able to more uh, accurately categorize websites. 
So, so let's focus a little bit more on that, and particularly the financial services industry. You know, if you guys go into a bank or a credit union, what's the typical setup like? How is it implemented in their current systems? Right. So there's there's actually two things that make this interesting. One is because we're a service, it's a lot easier to deploy a solution when you've got multiple locations. So some companies might have just one big building with a bunch of users, but banks generally don't. They've got branch offices. They've got right. a lot of remote locations. Instead of trying to deploy hardware at every single location, it's really easy for them to basically point their web traffic from any of those locations out into the cloud, but still have consistent policy, have consistent reporting. The other thing that's nice is we have outbound content control. So these days, a lot of banks are very careful about making sure that there's not um, unintentional or intentional data leakage um, of uh, proprietary or private information. So we help companies control that as well. Focus in a little bit more on that. We, um, you know, we see that uh, insider threat is a huge topic on our site. We get a lot of uh, a lot of people researching that topic: insider threat, insider fraud. How does your product address that? So there's there's two things that happen. One is we've actually got policy controls that will actively block or monitor uh, users who are intentionally trying to uh, sneak something out of the company. But what's happening more is that users are getting infected with malicious content that is in turn uh, stealing data. So keyword loggers, um, um, different programs that try to hijack uh, data or, or uh, compromise the PC in any way, and then kind of under the radar transmit it out to another site that's been compromised is a big deal. And so because we're able to block the malware from getting installed in the first place, the users and the bank or the company is more secure. Plus, we also monitor outbound traffic to make sure that even if you do get infected with something, that transmission out to the infected site um, isn't, isn't going to succeed. Okay. So it's more like, um, uh, I shouldn't say non-malicious, but uh, when the user is not necessarily aware that there's something wrong with their machine. That's right. That's the type of insider threat you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And it's, it's a big deal now because in the early days, it was very intrusive. There was like ads and pop-ups that would yeah, show sure. up, and it would slow your machine down to a crawl. These days, the bad guys are being very stealthy about what they distribute and what gets downloaded on your PC. So a lot of times, a user may not user even know. know that he or she is infected. And on top of that, the rate of legitimate sites that are getting infected is much higher. It, the conventional wisdom you know, a couple years ago was, well, if I don't let my users go to porn sites or other kind of dodgy sites, they'll be okay. Right. These days, a legitimate site is just as likely to have malicious content as a, you know, sort of a, a bad quote-unquote site. Okay, one more question before we go. Um, you know, we're at the Gardner Show. We're focusing on information security. Uh, you know, what's going to happen in the next five, ten years? What do you see? What kind of trends can you offer? What kind of foresight can you offer our users? Yeah, I think the one trend that we've seen clearly is a lot of money and time and effort has been spent on kind of protecting the email stream, right? Uh, people have been, been focused on blocking spam, uh, scanning attachments, blocking a lot of uh, sort of malicious content from coming into people's mailboxes, the web threat is still relatively new. Um, Gartner actually put out a research note last year saying that only about 15% of companies are actually doing any kind of real-time scanning of web content, which they noted is a big threat. So what, you're, what, what we'll see is a greater trend for people making sure that the content on the web is scanned at least as well as they're scanning their 
words of wisdom from uh, Dan Nader once again, Scansoft. Scansafe. Scansafe. <laughs> Thank you very much. Speaking with Larry Wilk now of Tricerian, and Larry's going to tell us a little bit about, for those of our users who don't know, a little bit about who Tricerian is and uh, how they apply to the financial services industry. So, Larry? Uh, uh, yeah, Tricerian, uh, we're about a four-year-old company that uh, got software that focused on defending online properties for our customers. So, uh, anything from a malicious attack, kind of key logging, things like that. So, that's where we fit. Yeah, I, I would say, um, you know, if you can focus in a bit more on, you know, financial services industry, you know, tell us a little bit about how does the product work? Is it software-based? Do you need to install a server? How does it actually fit in with their current system? Yeah, yeah, in the financial services world, what our customers are looking at is as online users come in the register, we've moved them away from a standard password package to more of a pin pad, something they're used to using on their ATMs, things like that. So now it's on the software side of the world, too. And by doing that, it gives us the capability of stopping malicious activities uh, from the hackers out there trying to get in to attack your account, your you know your savings account, your checking account, things like that. So, so you're saying it's like a pin pad. It's an actual, you know... Like uh, interface, okay, and then it can be personalized, so it focused on what you want. So, like a customer of our Alaska Credit Union, they use it. They use images of Alaska in their background, and they use you know, and then they do alphanumeric versus the, the graphic images. So that's the way they chose to implement it. So, it kind of takes that branding out to their customer base to make them feel more at home of what they're using with the customer. For uh, those who you know, most of you cannot see, um, you know, I'm looking at a screenshot right now and. What it looks like is, um, you know, sort of like your standard keypad interface, except all of the characters where you're used to seeing numbers are actually represented by symbols. <laughs> so, excuse me. So I guess what we're hearing here is that you can actually customize the display, and different combinations of those symbols make up your new password. Right. Is that we can use alphanumeric. So if you choose to keep it as standard as the way you have it is, our implementation is straightforward. So if someone that already is registered that has a password, we can pull it right in our system, and we'll randomize the keypad around that. So someone can get online and instead of typing their password, they can use the pin pad and use the same exact character base. So, And then over time, if they want to become more secure, it's better to get away from alphanumeric because there's only so many symbols that you can use versus right. image base. So our image database that we can use can be you know, a thousand, two thousand different kind of characters hmm. randomized into the keypad. So a standard implementation of software. Uh, you want to put it on you know, basically a server in your server farm uh, in you know, your environment, so we don't sell the hardware or anything like that. We run on any platform for you in the Unix world kind of, you know, environment. And uh, so just uh, a standard implementation, we usually kind of target it per user per, per year. So and our base price is basically a dollar per user per year to get the extra security. Well, one more question before we go, Larry. Um, we're at the Gardner Show. I've been asking, you know, most of the vendors I've been speaking with, you know, the, the, the talk of the town is, you know, what's going on in information security, predicting the future, what's going to happen in 10 years? What do you see? Not necessarily maybe 10 years from now, but what are some of the trends that you see? What kind of course like can you offer? Seeing more that people are starting to break security down into modules. So everything used to be just lumped into security, saying it was through a password, and they just get on and it takes care of itself. Now they're starting to see that there's a whole series of different functionality that takes care of security. And so now the customers are starting to look for specific areas to, to make them more secure. So in 10 years, uh, yeah, 
who knows. I mean, the computer can probably read your mind. I don't know. <laughs> so, and so, yes, you are who you say you are. But sure. until then, until we have smart enough computers to know that, we have to put defenses in place. And that's where authentication comes in. Because uh, it's not just the authentication of the password, but the whole life cycle of when you're on there. What is this identity? Mm-hmm. And we're breaking it down so that as you're going through it, if you're doing in financial services, let's say someone's online, they're just managing their checking account, they want to do a large wire transfer with our system, you can plug in another keypad so it comes up and says, hey, mm. just take one more step before you send that $5,000 somewhere. Right. Because you don't want someone to be able to just come into your account and just, you know, do whatever they want. So that's what we're trying to help prevent. Okay. All right, once again, Larry Wilk with Tricerian. Yep.